I think there's now an openness that this innovation is not just full of endless Ponzi schemes or um, pump and dump schemes, that actually there's something a lot more meaningful in terms of a transition to new financial markets infrastructure for the world. You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. Making the transition from traditional financial services into financial technology isn't the normal career path, but let's speak next with Lucy Gasmerarian. She is the founder and leader of Token Bay Capital and has followed a fairly unconventional career path. I have no plot spoilers for me, but let's join Lucy in conversation with Crypto Savvy. Joining us in the podcast booth is Lucy Gasmerarian, and she is the founding and managing partner of Token Bay Capital, an early stage venture fund that invests in digital assets and blockchain companies. Lucy, thank you very much for joining us on Crypto Savvy. Pleasure. Thrilled to be here. Look, I always like to begin these conversations with a hero story, the genesis. What is the uh, start of your crypto journey? And um, tell us more about Token Bay Capital. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to get uh, into that story. So for me, it was, a, it was an epiphany and a very distinct moment. Uh, it was actually, um, I was seeking something. I did not know it was going to be crypto. And it really um, was something that has now turned out to have changed you know, the whole course of my career. So forever grateful. But um, no, listen, I spent many years in traditional finance. So you know, I cut my teeth at Goldman Sachs in London for about six years, ended up on the buy side in fixed income. So working with uh, sovereign wealth funds, central banks on the, the, the large fixed income portfolios and then moved to the private wealth side first in, in London. But then um, I moved to Singapore with Credit Suisse. So got an understanding of, you know, managing private wealth in Asia, if you like, which is very different to managing uh, money for Europeans. So very different risk appetite and, and environment. So, you know, really got a global perspective in terms of managing both institutional money, high net worth money and across all asset classes. So while, um, you know, at Goldman, I was focused on fixed income. By the time I was in Singapore, I was selling everything from stocks, bonds, hedge funds, private equity, structure products, the whole thing. And, and you know, understanding how much leverage feature did uh, portfolios in Asia. And then it really got to the, the point where, you know, I'd spent a good chunk of my career in traditional finance, but it was beginning, you know, I was beginning to lose excitement. I wasn't waking up every morning with a smile on my face. And, you know, I, I wanted to change that because I could see there was a lot of innovation happening around me. You know, fintech was what I thought I was going to go into, actually. You know, you see that these banks, after the great financial crisis, really struggling to make money. Like those heydays of, you know, Wall Street and, and, and all these investment banks making money, it never really came back after Lehman Brothers went down. And, you know, banks, instead of being filled with money makers, were filled with compliance professionals. And so, you know, I could see that it wasn't working. Something was broken. So I got myself to uh, Davos in 2018. So in the UK, I went to Oxford University and through a series of events with Oxford, I got myself to Davos, which was perfect because it gave me access to everything. And I went with a very specific purpose to Davos and that was to find my career pivot. Okay. What 
was going to be next because you know banking for me um, was not really going to be the next 20 years of my career but I also didn't want to waste everything that I'd learned and all those skills that, that I had developed. And uh, how did you first get exposed to blockchain and cryptocurrencies? So so that was in the mountains in, in Davos and it was uh, the height of the ICO boom so you know everyone around you was talking about token products and, and projects and, and shilling all these tokens and I was absolutely fascinated um, you know Honesty, I uh, had not really heard of Bitcoin at that point. I'd been siloed in my traditional finance world. And so to see all these groups of people talk so passionately um, about, you know, incredible topics like decentralized networks, downfall of governments, nation states, you know, Bitcoin becoming the world's reserve currency or a store of uh, value and become effectively digital gold was pretty shocking for someone mm. that literally comes from a, a cubicle in a bank. This really is a great disrupting moment. It was really, really, you know, forever be grateful uh, for, for that moment in the mountains. It was very sort of, I don't know, poetic, if you like. So the minute I started opening my mind to crypto and I could see the types of individuals that the space was attracting, which was really interesting, really articulate and clearly very clever people. I wanted to get into it. And, you know, as luck would have it, I met someone um, during that event who was looking to build out a crypto team in Hong Kong. And I was born in Hong Kong, I'm from Hong Kong. And so that was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, suddenly I was gonna join a crypto team in Hong Kong, but it was with PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. So for me, that transition worked very nicely because it was still corporate, but it was the most cutting edge team within PwC and obviously getting exposure to the entirely new asset class and all the new fledgling companies that were making up this, this incredible moment in history. But as a traditional banker, you must have had some reservations about digital assets and thoughts or, or concerns. I mean, you mentioned the height of the ICO boom. Something else came afterwards. Tell us, how did you balance the, the, the risk with the potential? Do you know, I think I probably didn't appreciate um, the potential of digital assets on day one. You know, obviously most people were saying that Bitcoin was for money launderers. And when I told people I was joining a crypto team, you know, people that have known me in my past, it's sort of silence. It's, uh, you know, she's going down a few levels in seniority because I moved to, you know, a new company. I went in as a consultant, a very different, you know, level, if you like, after being very senior in finance. And I would draw a blank with people because, you know, three, four years ago, crypto was you know it was a dirty word i mean it was not what we are experiencing today so you know i guess there was a little bit of discomfort but there was just this undeniable deep-rooted belief in me that this was going to be really transformative um but yes initial meetings were surprising and you know in that craze of that ico boom it did attract a number of scammers, you know, 80, 90% of those projects were scams and, and PwC saw their fair share of them. So I had many initial meetings with, with these various teams where it was questionable what uh, their goal was, whether it was to, you know, raise 30 million in a week to then run off on a private island and sit drinking pina coladas for the rest of their life or actually to build a project, you know, it, it could go either way. But then obviously, you know, look, I'm looking right now at a, at a company which raised money at that time, Crypto.com, and look how fantastic and phenomenal they are today. 
you know so you really had to find the good projects and and they did exist but i would say they were they were few and far between Okay, um, I want to flash forward a minute because today you're the uh, lead of Token Bay Capital, and uh, can you tell us a bit about that company? Yes. Yeah, so for, for for me, Token Bay Capital was really a natural progression of my career. So as I said, I spent you know many years in traditional finance, managing institutional and private wealth. And then after three years in PwC's crypto team, where I'm helping all these crypto businesses, you know, with any number of issues that they need help with, tax, legal, regulatory. I was doing a lot of educational work with central banks and, and regulators. Um, you know, PwC is, is very much a connector of, of private industry, if you like, and regulators, you know, that they're ensuring the right governance frameworks are, are met for these new crypto businesses. So you learn a lot very fast and you build an incredible network. Helps you better evaluate the opportunities. It, it does. And so it got to a point where, you know, my two skill sets came together really, really nicely to then launch my own venture fund, which would obviously draw on my experience of managing wealth and, and money and you know traditional finance, but obviously blended with a crypto network, deep knowledge of the space, you know, a passion for helping these new companies um, and, and seeing what success was and being able to help that and, uh, and, 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 you know, do what I can to make these companies succeed. So, you know, it was, it was a natural, very natural progression and transition for me. Now, Lucy, um, Token Bay Capital is a fully regulated digital asset venture fund here in Hong Kong. I want to focus on the word regulated. What does that actually mean for a venture capital fund? So the SFC has, um, you know, taken steps to, to have more regulation. If you're, you're managing the wealth of you know other people's money effectively and it's effectively a collective investment scheme then you should be applying some regulatory framework it's becoming more encouraged you cannot be regulated but more and more it's very difficult so what it means is that if you want to set up a venture capital fund you actually need to have cut your teeth if you like in traditional finance markets because that's how you get the license right you have to demonstrate an understanding of markets i was licensed many years ago in london i've been licensed in singapore um, retained a license at pwc for corporate finance activities and so i could i could get that license and what a license and regulation really means is that when someone hands over their money to you there is certain framework to ensure that those funds are managed in the correct way and that means having safe custody of assets you know i can't keep every my fund invests in both equity and tokens I can't take those tokens myself in a hardware wallet and put it in my drawer. That That's not okay, and that's not okay because I'm regulated. And so the regulation stipulates that I need a third-party custodian, hopefully regulated and insured themselves, which is exactly um, the custodian that I'm using for third-party custody of client assets. So it's it's things like that to, to give investors comfort that you know there are, there is a framework in place. So these frameworks and these regulations will help avoid another uh, two hundred one eight ICO boom and crash. I don't I don't know if I would draw um, that parallel, but I mean regulations were around when the ICO boom and bust happened. It's just no one took any notice of them and you know it was a very gray area as to whether was anyone was actually um 
you know, raising money for a security token or a utility token. So I guess where uh, where I'm heading is where we appear to be kind of reaching kind of a, a regulated marketplace and an unregulated marketplace. And there is uh, there are players in both areas. And uh, clearly uh, the path of regulation provides the safeguards that you're accustomed to in the wealth management industry and your previous experience. I think increasingly we are moving towards a regulated landscape. Um, for the whole crypto space. You know, even DeFi is, is coming under the regulatory net and they're making noises, particularly in the US, which is, you know, I mean, it's definitely a jurisdiction and a regulator that everyone looks to as a, as a leader um, and for, for guidance. And, you know, they're, they're, Gary Gensler is coming out saying we need crypto specific framework which incorporates DeFi to protect investors and consumers. But there is a big challenge with that because typically regulation is enforced by um, having holding individuals or entities, you know, intermediaries and holding them accountable. And that's exactly what DeFi does. It, it disintermediates that and there are no intermediaries. So, you know, you can have a regulatory framework, but the big question is how are you actually going to implement or enforce it? So there's a lot of head scratching going on. I think all the sides are trying to come together. And I think there's now an openness that this innovation is not just full of endless Ponzi schemes, right, or um, pump and dump schemes, that actually there's something a lot more meaningful in terms of a transition to new financial markets infrastructure for the world and harnessed in the right way. It's transformative for, for society, for capital markets. And um, I think there's definitely a greater appreciation of that. So I'm, I'm optimistic looking forwards. I think, um, you know, until we get to a point where the regulators themselves are decentralized and just exist in code as well, which I think is definitely a few years off. You know, I think we're, we've got to meet somewhere in the middle. And, you know, a lot of the crypto businesses that want to do the right thing welcome regulation. You know, I think that it's a misconception that crypto businesses don't want regulation. Many of them do. They just want clear regulation so that they know the parameters uh, around which they need to operate. Now, Lucy, one of my objectives with uh, the show Crypto Savvy is to increase people's uh, knowledge of the terms and the finance industry. Can you kind of provide us an explanation of what is a venture capital fund? Might seem a little bit uh, simplistic, but just want to make sure we understand the, the framework. Sure. So um, venture is just investing in new, typically new technologies. Um, so biotech, healthcare, and, and crypto is definitely falls within the new technology uh, category. In fact, it's so new, a lot of people don't even know what it is. So venture is typically in these very high potential new technologies, and it's investing in companies, well, at all stages. The focus of my fund is early stage venture funds. So, you know, it's at the idea where projects are just beginning to get off the ground. It's an idea, it's a team, and they have a vision. And it's really supporting those types of entrepreneurs um, in, those, in those early stages of growth. But as we know in crypto, early stage of growth company is a late stage company within 18 months. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary how fast this space is maturing. So venture is really sort of frontier, frontier companies, frontier asset classes, and, and crypto just uh, personifies that. Okay, and within this wide world of digital assets, are there any kinds of companies that you are particularly interested in or that you have invested in more than others? So my fund is diversified across the digital assets and blockchain universe. 
So it's not just focusing, you may have heard a lot of buzzwords out there, NFT, DeFi, Metaverse. It's all of those things. It's going to give you exposure to all the key trends in the digital um, assets markets. So I've got five verticals, five key verticals. That's infrastructure, it's financial services, it's DeFi, NFTs, and social media and e-commerce. And so it's really looking at projects, ideas, companies within those different verticals. And I have sub verticals, but we won't go into those right now. But, you know, at this moment in, in time, there's different groups of players in each of the verticals. But as, as we progress and the market matures, there's going to be a lot more um, a crossover, I would say, between those verticals. Okay, and Lucy, you said you invest in early stage companies. Uh, define that for us. Help us, you know, if we're a group of uh, entrepreneurs starting a company, is that when we approach you? Is it a little later? Tell us about the kind of that sweet spot of when you want to be looking at companies. So I would say my sweet spot is, um, you know, you, you've got a, a proof of concept, if you like, or a minimum viable product. You know, something has been made. You know, it can be rough around the edges, but, you know, something's there and there's a, there's a strong team with a strong vision that wants to execute. You know, as with all walks of life, actually, everything we do, it really comes down to, to people. So meeting those founders, meeting those teams and, you know, the amount of time I've now spent in the space, I, I have a good sense for what's going to be a good idea, what's coming next before before many other people see it. And so if it's a great team, they, they've got a great idea, they're beginning to execute very well. And I believe that the broader theme that they're going to play into is is going to take off, then, you know, that that's going to capture capture my attention. Well, Lucy, how do we even get your attention? You have to be receiving hundreds, if not thousands of proposals every month. You know, crypto's a crypto's a funny space. Crypto is about ecosystems and networks. And that also relates to deal flow and, and knowing other people in the space. And I don't even know how to sort of summarize what it is, but when you're in the network, you just do get deal flow and it filters out things that just, you know, don't work, right? Separating so, the wheat from the chaff. We thank you. Um, you know, LinkedIn, I have to say, I get bombarded, but, you know, typically the deals, my fund is focused on opportunities in Asia Pacific. You know, that's my edge. This is my core network. This is where I'm based in the world. And so, you know, teams reaching out to me from Germany and, and you know, even London, if, if, they, if they don't have an Asia side to their story, you know, I've got to limit my scope, right? So, so they won't fall within my uh, my investment universe at this point. So, Lucy, is it a pure investment? Put the money in, walk away, and see what happens, or does there come some advisory? Or what's your role with the companies within your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had one sitting next to me because the feedback has been has been really quite amazing. You know, typically. These rounds are very difficult to get in, and typically it's 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 a two-way street. You're bringing something to the table, and they're bringing something to the table. And often, what I'm bringing to the table is not just capital, because really, money doesn't talk in uh, crypto deal flow right now. But what does is is having an ability to help companies in that in some way, whether it's facilitating strategic introductions, helping them raise their profile, you know, knowing other industry players. 
And what I'm finding is as my portfolio is maturing, I'm seeing synergies between the companies of how I can bring them together. One can help another. And, you know, th that's the beauty of crypto actually itself is that it's sort of money Lego. One thing fits into another and, and in ways you can't imagine. And when you're so deeply immersed, your, your network and your ability to, to guide, to facilitate introductions is, is all important for a company that's getting off the ground and needs to make some noise. Okay, we've talked a lot in generalities uh, about the different types of sectors and subsectors. Can you give me a for instance, is there uh, maybe either a, you know, a company you've invested in? We don't need to know the specifics, but if you can maybe you know, either tell us the name of the company or a little bit more about it, that would help us understand the, the kind of transactions or, or companies you've helped grow? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I need to name names. You know, I don't want to no. show favoritism for my uh, <laughs> investee companies here. Remain, remain neutral. But, um, you know, it, it really is in the ways. And, you know, some of the ways that I've helped them, it's actually not yet announced. But, you know, if we were having this podcast in a month, you know, certain thought leadership pieces, certain uh, media profile that I've orchestrated, that's very valuable for startups. And uh, also you'd mentioned earlier the ecosystem and how uh, you mentioned that many of these kind of complement each other. I imagine looking over your portfolio, you begin to see opportunities or areas where you're underrepresented. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I had the first close in July. I'm just, just getting started. So, um, you know, even with the first handful, I, I think I'm up to five, six, seven maybe investments now. Um, you know, it's diversified across my verticals. That's that's the whole point. And actually, there are opportunities in so many different areas right now. I mean, in terms of the build out of this whole landscape, it's it's really just the beginning. And so, it, it's not that one area is hot and one area is not. It's all really hot. It's just, you know, making sure um, I'm, I'm diversified across all these all these different. Uh, parts of the market. Well, and how do you pace yourself? I mean, because it seems like crypto could be a 24-7 occupation and even then you'd run out of time in a day. Yeah, to be honest, since I launched my own business, um, I don't know what a weekend is. Uh, maybe know what evenings are. But yes, I mean, it's all encompassing. But when you're doing something where you've got to a point in life that your skill set, your passion, your ability to create value for yourself and others all comes together in one opportunity and it's your own business, I would say there is probably no greater feeling. So listen, I work all the time, but it's not, it doesn't feel like, like work for me. And what are some of the trends you're seeing, particularly you mentioned you're focused your fund in Asia. Uh, what is it about the region and what about the companies that really draws your interest? You know, my belief is Asia PAC is, is, is just a seat of innovation for this. I mean, actually, China was the quickest country to take to Bitcoin. You know, that massive crash we saw in 2017 was when the, the PBOC cracked down on Bitcoin because the adoption was so fast. You know, in Asia, you've, you've got to remember it's a, it's a mobile first culture. So to have digital wallets and, and crypto wallets and be interacting on the internet and transferring value in this way is really, really natural. To, uh, to, to everyone in this part of the world. So there's so much innovation. I mean, on our doorstep in Hong Kong, we've had some of the greatest crypto companies are born here. It continues to be an incredible place to do business. And, you know, this, this innovation, crypto is not just about Bitcoin. It extends into many different parts of our social and economic lives, right? It's not just about payments. It's, um, it's you know, art. It's metaverse, it's digital collectibles, it's 
just changing the entire infrastructure that our capital markets operate on. And so when we're sitting in the GBA, which is you know, the Silicon Valley of uh, of the world soon. GBA stands for? Greater Bay Area. And that is the compilation of southern China cities and Hong Kong and Macau into a, a greater area uh, for technological exchange and interaction. I- exactly. And and the beauty of this is that you've got an international finance hub, which is Hong Kong. You've got Shenzhen, which is the world's new Silicon Valley. And blending cutting-edge technology with cutting-edge financial markets that are international, as well as being on China's doorstep as it opens up, that's a very powerful combination for, for innovation to flourish within. And so there is so, so much opportunity in, in this part of the world. And it's not just in the Greater Bay Area, so in Hong Kong, but also looking to Singapore is, is a close neighbor. I invest heavily in Singapore, and that's a great complement to the regulatory jurisdiction that we, we have here. We've got our hands full in, in Asia Pacific, for sure. What else is it about Hong Kong that uh, gives it its, its leg up in the digital asset world? Hong Kong actually has been incredibly forward thinking. I mean, you know, every Hong Kong fintech week, we have an incredible announcement and I, I remember them. But 2018, for example, the SFC came out and said that all licensed portfolio managers in Hong Kong, so people managing money, could hold up to 10% of their portfolio in virtual assets without triggering any additional licensing requirements. So I think at the time, we sort of didn't appreciate quite how revolutionary that was at saying, you know, Go, go try it. And that virtual asset category is incredibly broad. It could be Bitcoin, it could be Ethereum, it could be tokenized stocks and bonds, right? Although, you know, that, that market is taking a bit longer to take off. But anything that is virtual and has been tokenized. A security token, an NFT. Utility. I, well, I think it was <laughs> NFTs weren't on the scene then. But so, so that was that's really um, very forward thinking because it's ensuring that people that are managing money, wealth, um, are able to experiment with this new asset class and and understand the different operational risks that exist around managing virtual assets. You know, it's not just the underlying, whether it's linked to some real world asset or it's just a pure um, crypto native asset. But nonetheless, there is this private public key operational risk that has to be managed. So I think it's uh, for, for portfolio managers that took up that opportunity and, uh, and really started to explore. I think it puts Hong Kong um, really at the forefront. And we're seeing that now. I mean, recently, obviously, there's been a consultation paper to now limit crypto to professional investors. And that means investors that have liquid assets of USD 1 million and above in their bank accounts. And that doesn't include, you know, a house or or anything else. Or any digital assets. Or any digital (laughs) assets. So it's a high bar. Uh, We're optimistic that that's just an interim stage for the regulator to get comfortable with the exchanges before we go back to allowing retail. But you know, it's still putting an institutional framework around operators in this space. You know, it's still embracing it. And in, in the interest of full disclosure, Hashkey Group is uh, in the process of applying for licensing as a digital asset exchange here in Hong Kong, which would keep us focused on professional investors and institutions. Now, Lucy, I wanted to ask you across the border, not far from here in China, they've recently introduced regulations against digital assets. Uh, how did, how, can you explain what's Hong Kong's opportunity or challenge at this time? 
Yes, I think, you know, uh, we've heard it said many times before and, and we've heard China ban crypto many times before. So anyone that's been in the space for a period of years is, is aware of that. And that's been the case from, quite frankly, day one. I mean, they started cracking down on this back in 2013. So it really comes as no surprise. But for me, I think it's actually a net positive for Hong Kong in the sense that if Hong Kong continues to be able to offer crypto services and crypto exchanges can still service institutions and professional investors, that means that Hong Kong has become China's crypto hub. And China is keeping links with the rest of the world. You know, they're not cutting themselves off completely from this innovation, which in my opinion would, would probably be the wrong thing to do given how transformative it's turning out to be. So if Hong Kong becomes the crypto hub, if you like, for China in a controlled way with the right regulatory framework and a responsible way of managing virtual and crypto assets, that positions us very well for the intersection of crypto and finance and how that's going to be applied to have more efficient functioning of financial markets. So I think um, I think it's uh, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's positive for now. Further reinforces Hong Kong's position as a center of excellence for digital assets. Yes. Uh, Lucy, I understand you've got another passion founded in 2019, Women in Crypto Hong Kong. Uh, is there more to the group than the title? Tell us more about Women in Crypto in Hong Kong. Yes, yeah, so it started out um, really just as another network. You know, life is made up of networks and I think um, the opposite sex is very good at having those natural networks, natural sort of grouping and discussions, and I think women less so. And um, we were find I was finding that in all these crypto businesses in Hong Kong, you'd have very few women typically hired. It would sort of be, how do we find, you know, let's have one, one female. Um, and that can be quite isolating for someone that's in a very fast-paced environment, crypto is very fast-paced, and you've got one lone female just sitting there sort of a bit overwhelmed. And so it's really just a very human connection, right, of just another forum for people to connect, share experiences, know what the other crypto businesses are doing, and, and really just sort of find other women that are, that are facing similar issues, and also as a way to attract more women into the space. The fact that we have a group of us, you know, women do exist in crypto, contrary to popular belief. You know, we're still few and far between, but, but, but we're there. And, you know, going forwards, um, now I'm working on events with big exchanges to, to really try to help people that have, no, women actually specifically, have no idea what crypto is, wouldn't even know where to begin, to see other women talking about it, you know, being open to questions. And just, I think with everything in life, you need to see someone you can identify with that's doing it. You know, a white male in a hoodie is not necessarily going to attract swarms of women into the space. They need to see other women are doing it and that it's accessible and open to all. So it's, it's, I think it's an important um, positioning for, for the industry, right, to show that there are groups of women and it's just very inclusive. So, yeah, stay tuned for some more Women in Crypto because uh, I need some more stuff on, on my plate. <laughs> yeah, you certainly do. And just as a f disclosure to any listeners who are not watching us live, I am not in a hoodie at the moment. <laughs> Now, um, no, I can certainly see the network effect and the ability to have peers and to mentor and to have people that you can talk to and, and get some kind of a, a safe place to ask questions. 
Yeah, or just a place you feel more comfortable to ask questions. Okay. Well, look, um, you had mentioned, um, you know, 2020 that we had DeFi. Uh, this year, NFTs seem to be quite popular. We're looking towards uh, the metaverse, uh, and perhaps we can attend one of your um, NFT and collectible galleries in the metaverse. But what are some of the, the, the bigger picture trends that you're looking at um, for the years coming ahead? Well, I think the metaverse, you can't discount the metaverse. Um, Can you help us explain that, or at least provide some definition of what the metaverse is? So the good news, and, and this was the same with uh, DeFi, less so with NFTs, but you know there was no agreed definition of what DeFi is. DeFi is so new that we haven't all come together and gone, that's the definition of what DeFi is. It is, is decentralized finance. We know that much, but what that actually means, it's great that there is no definitive definition, if you like, because we're still experimenting and it's still evolving. And I would say that that uh, also applies to the metaverse. You know, we're throwing around this word. We know that it's going to be a virtual, physical, crossover experience where digital assets are going to feature in it. But we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, nor do we know the degree to which it's going to impact our current lives. And that holds true still for, for DeFi. You know, how much are we all going to be are all financial services going to be provided in decentralized manner going forwards? You know, probably. So, uh, so the metaverse, I think, is, is really exciting because um, there is no definition, but it definitely involves, I think, um, a new virtual world where uh, digital assets that we've been you know, experimenting with over the last few years are going to come together and be displayed in different ways. We're going to interact with things in different ways. I think gaming is a big part of, of the metaverse. Um, but hey, you know, let, let's find out. Let's find out what it is. But uh, it's going to be... Uh, you know, innovation is just going to be the, the core feature. Look, I think for those who don't understand what the metaverse is, watch the film or read the book Ready Player One or watch your child playing Minecraft and you will understand what an immersive world can be. There you go. Okay, well, um, look, Lucy, um, I am a startup. Uh, I'm ready for funding. I've got something I think you're going to be interested in. What's the best way to get in touch with you? You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, I, I, it's sort of the more business side of uh, connecting with people. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram, probably not, not the optimal way unless you want to send me a picture of something. But <laughs> <laughs> So yes, I mean, all the usual social, social media uh, forums. Look, and I will do you one favor to anyone who's thinking of contacting Lucy. Please do take your time to better understand the fund and the, the types of businesses they invest in because um, unsolicited proposals that are off target are not going to be met as easily. So it really does pay to do your homework, doesn't it? Thanks for the filtering. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucy, no, thank you very much for appearing on Crypto Savvy. We've um, really enjoyed and I understand this is your first podcast. It is. It is. So far, it's just been limited to, to uh, panels and um, stages. Well, I hope it uh, won't be your last because you have a lot to contribute and you're a great role model for women and wealth professionals moving into the new space. So I know it will be your first, but I hope it's not your last. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. It's been so great. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today on Crypto Savvy, live on the floor of Hong Kong Fintech Week 2021. Thank you. 
thank you to our guest, Lucy Gasmerarian, founder of Token Bay Capital, for sharing her insights. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a five-star rating. And wherever you get your podcast, hit subscribe and like. Thank you for joining Crypto Savvy. I'm Walter Jennings with Hashkey Group. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials brought to you by Hashkey Group.